0: Our scripture reading this morning is found in the Epistle to Jude. We're just going to be reading the first and the second verses this morning. Before I read this, uh, let me uh, just uh, give a preface here that we're going through a series right now, uh, just looking at Jude. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this before. It's the last chapter in the Bible before Revelation. Revelation. And uh, I think that it's put there right in that spot for a reason. A lot of you think that revelation is pretty scary, don't you? And uh, I think Jude was put here because it's talking about the last days. And it prepares Christians to be ready to live in the last days. Because the last days started... After Jesus went back to heaven and the church started, you'll see that uh, what Jude does, he says, there have been these people who have crept into the church unawares, and uh, it was told to you that they would be coming into the church, and that this was going to happen. And he says, and lo and behold, now it has happened. And it's been happening ever since, hasn't it? Uh, there are those that, uh, you know, John talks about those who were among us, but they weren't of us. And uh, uh, but um, anyway, so Jude, he was going to write about how uh, just the wonders of the gospel. He wanted to talk to his, his, his audience about Jesus. He said, but this has come up and it needs to be addressed. And so, church, this is what you need to know so that you can be a steadfast Christian in an ungodly world. And that's what you're going to be called to do all through the book of Revelation as well. And uh, this is a very assuring uh, part of that. As we read these words, Jude a bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Just his greeting there tells us a lot, because It tells us what his audience is meant to be, and he's writing to the church, and so he's writing to you. And so this is, he uses three words to identify the people that he is addressing. And he calls them, he says, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Called, sanctified, and preserved. Now, you'll notice I named my sermon called Cleansed and Kept. I did that just for the, I guess you'd call it the alliteration of it. They all start with kind of a K sound. It's easier to remember called, cleansed, and kept than it is called, sanctified, and uh, preserved. So, uh but anyway... uh But that's what we are. And I think that using the word cleansed is important this morning because there are a lot of people that want to go on and get on the road to sanctification without paying any attention to being cleansed. They want to kind of avoid the blood of Jesus. In fact, there are whole segments of uh, uh, the, the Christian church nowadays that are starting to talk about, we don't need slaughterhouse religion. You know, we don't need to be talking about bloody crosses and things like that. And yet that is the centrality of the gospel. If Jesus hadn't shed his blood on that cross, we could not be cleansed. We could not be uh, uh, made where we could be righteous before God. And so I I use the word cleansed just to remind us that the cleansing is a part of sanctification. We're going to get into that in just a minute. These are the marks of a Christian. And so this letter is written to you. And uh, these attributes separate us from the world, don't they? If you're living the life of a called, sanctified, and preserved person then uh, you're not going to look like the world around you. And uh, so anyway, so first of all, called. The word called is used in Scripture in uh, this way. Not only an invitation is sent out, but it's an invitation that is sent out and accepted. And it's made real because of the Spirit of God. We looked at uh, this a while back when we were looking at uh, uh, just our whole thing about uh, the uh, uh, characteristics of, uh, uh, what is it called, We call it the essentials of Christian maturity. That's what that, that, that series was called. So we looked at this back then, and uh, we considered uh, what it meant when he said, many are called, but few are chosen. And if uh, you'll recall, Uh, What it meant was when he said many are called, many are chosen. He said this at the ending of his parable of the wedding feast. He uh, issued a lot of invitations, the guy that was holding the wedding feast. But many made excuses uh, or out and out rejected the invitation. Those who came to the feast, they're the ones that were chosen. When you receive an invitation and act on it, then you're chosen. That's the scriptural uh, way to look at that. Uh, Paul's statement is found in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 24 about this. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness but to them who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you have found uh, in Christ the wisdom and power of God, and you have trusted him, then you are the called. Uh, The invitation is sent out. And when it's accepted and believed, then you are the called. And that's exactly what Jude means here. Whatever he says, uh, says this. And uh, Paul spells it out very well. Then sanctified to them that are sanctified by God, the father. Salvation is the beginning of the Christian life, but it's also the whole trip you know, it's kind of like marriage. Marriage begins with an initial ceremony, but then it goes on for many, many years, doesn't it? Or it's supposed to. Nowadays, it doesn't go on as long as it should. But uh, anyway, uh, so, but uh, it's supposed to go on. It's supposed to be the beginning. The wedding's the beginning of something, it's not something that's just of itself, it's a commitment. And so as sanctification begins, it begins when you realize you want to live the rest of your life with God, with Jesus. You want to walk with him daily. You love him. You want to be around him. You want him to be around you. You want to share uh, things with him. And he wants to share things with you. He wants to bless you. You want to bless him. That goes on till the day that you die. And then you get to continue on uh, in heaven. And so it's a it's a great thing. But uh, but that's it begins of whatever you are wind up being washed and cleansed and being made holy in the sight of God. Not by our actions, but through our faith in His cleansing blood, whenever we put our faith and trust in His cleansing blood for the forgiveness of our sins, that's the moment that His Holy Spirit can come in and begin to do His work. It's instant. That part is instantaneous. Your sins are taken away, and you stand clean before the Lord. Uh, and this is just it. God moves you from the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of heaven. And just like Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe the good news. Sanctified means to be set apart, uh, to set, be set apart for the service of God. And we talked about this last week, I guess, whenever we were talking about uh All Saints Day and how we're all saints because everyone who has received the cleansing blood of Jesus, everyone who's committed their life to him is a saint. Only two kinds of people in the world. Remember, y'all know what they are. There are saints and ain'ts. That's right. Saints and ain'ts. You're one of the two. Uh, There's no in-between ground there. Saints and ain'ts. And so, uh, Your sin is taken away. You stand clean before the Lord. And uh, when the epistle addresses the saints, addressing those who uh, have believed and received the good news and are living out of it. And that brings us to the second part of sanctification. First, after a person uh, turns from their sins and accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they have now entered into a new adventure. And I love to call this an adventure because you wind up doing things you've never done before. You step, you're continually stepping into unknown territory. And uh, sometimes the things the Lord pulled you into are so different that people will call them, it's like a second conversion. They thought that they knew all there was, and then all of a sudden they step into a different realm, just like. Peter, whenever he stepped over the threshold into uh, the house of, uh, of Cornelius, uh, he uh, good good Jewish boys didn't step into the house of a Gentile. You'd get Gentile cooties if you did that, and <laughs> you just didn't do that. Whenever you got home, you had to take a bath, you know. And so, uh, what he did whenever he stepped over. He was going where God was calling him, not walking just what he had been taught. And so it winds up being an adventure because such fantastic things happen when we're willing to take that step that God wants you to take, but you've never taken before. And so what happened with Peter? He wound up uh, bringing a bunch of Gentiles into the kingdom of God and he thought it was just going to be for the Jews he'd been taught that there was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles but he didn't know how it was going to come about and all of a sudden I could just imagine just psh, 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 things starting to make sense in the Bible to him that had never made sense before because he was willing to take that step that even went against the very grain of what he had been brought up in But he knew he was supposed to do it. And so it is an adventure uh, whenever we start living that new, spirit filled existence. You've been sanctified and you're living a different life. It's kind of like fresh fruit and vegetables at our house. When we bring them home from the store, they're not ready for use, are they? No. You don't just grab an apple and eat it. You know, you got to you got to clean it up. You don't just grab a carrot out of the bag that you just brought in. You've got to do something with it. And so when they're uh, so you have to wash them. And after they're washed, then they're ready to either be eaten or uh, or uh, set aside until later using cooking or whatever. But if we have some clean ones left aside, left over, we set them aside. But we don't put them back in the container with the unwashed ones, do we? No, because all of it anyway. So but that's us. You see, once we've been cleaned, we are set aside by the Lord for his use. Do you see that? That's sanctification. He's washed you. Now you're ready to be used by him. And you can't, a a vegetable can't wash itself, can it? No, no way. And so it's the same with us. We can't wash ourselves. Only the Lord can do that for us. And so we come before him and we're washed and we're cleansed. It's the Lord's doing. He cleanses us and separates us from the world but then there's another part because sanctification is the beginning of a process that we call sanctification or a good Methodist way to phrase it is moving on to perfection and uh, once the Holy Spirit becomes the uh, guiding uh, force of a believer then he begins the Lord begins to convict and to transform that individual and this process Uh, continues on through the rest of our lives and will be becoming more holy and less sinful as we move along because there are areas of our lives that we didn't even realize needed to be cleansed, that were wrong up until that point. Last word, kept. Kept. And this is so important for us today. Uh, It's the word uh, that gives us the key to the book of Jude, uh, which uh, presents the apostasy as it's presented nowhere else in Scripture. As we go through this epistle, we're going to see just how uh, frightful it really is. But Jude doesn't write just to frighten the daylights out of us. That's not why he's written this for us. Nor does he write just to draw a vivid picture for our information, you see, he's given us this background so that we might be given assurance during this time of apostasy. And that's falling away, the great falling away. And if we look around us, if we read the newspaper, we see we are in a time of great apostasy. He uses the word keep four times. And, uh, and that's uh, the, the word preserve means. They are kept in Jesus Christ. God's the one who keeps them. Notice the verse of 121 in Jude. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And that's what we have to do primarily. We need to maintain our relationship with God. We need to work on that. That's the only work that we can do in all of this really is keep close to him. And as we do that, then the Lord can do his keeping of us. It says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Now, you may call it anything that you want to, but this gives us an assurance of salvation, uh, even in the dark days of apostasy. And that, again, is one of the earmarks of being a Methodist, according to uh, John Wesley, is uh, we have an assurance of our salvation. We know we're on our way to heaven. As I've told you before, you know you have a reservation. Your reservation was confirmed whenever Jesus rose from the dead. And so uh, we have our reservation. So you and I are presently living in a time of apostasy, And how much more, how much further it'll go before the rapture, we don't know. Uh, But we definitely are in the time of apostasy. Now, looking again at the word preserved, it's interesting to note in in the physical world that there are several ways of preserving. You ever thought about this? Actually, one is with vinegar. The other is with sugar. Another is with smoke. Another is by heating and sealing. And there are others too nowadays. But uh, I like what J. Vernon McGee says about this. He says, there are many saints in our day who I think are preserved all right, but they are preserved in vinegar. (laughs) That is, they act that way. They have a vinegar disposition. Also, there are saints who are preserved in sugar. They are sugar and spice and everything nice. And these are not all women either. But even those who seem to be preserved in vinegar are preserved by God's grace, which preserves or keeps them. The Apostle John tells us in Revelation twelve eleven, they overcame him talking about Satan, the evil one, by the blood of the lamb and their testimony. And uh, that's the only way that believers are going to make it through the great tribulation. And that is the only way that we are going to overcome. But first of all, by the blood of the lamb, there's no merit or power in us that overcomes the evil one. And uh, I want to take a little aside here because this is so important. The blood of the lamb is what overcomes the evil one. Our testimony must include the blood of the lamb. You can't have a Christian testimony that doesn't have the cross at the heart of it and what Jesus did on that cross for you. It's not a Christian testimony if there's no cross in it. And uh, this is, I, have, I don't think I've ever heard anybody just flat out say it like that, but it's the truth and you need to hear it. Uh, and think about this. It, our testimony must include the blood of the Lamb. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and our testimony. And what we testify to is the blood of the lamb and what it has done in our lives by pulling us into God's kingdom. On the night of the Passover, when the Lord passed through Egypt, it was uh, only those who had the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and littles of their homes who were spared the loss of their firstborn in the home. They had to put a testimony on their doors. Do you see that? People walking by and looking at that, at that house, they could see that there were people in that house that were the Lord's. Now then, if the blood, had, if they had prepared the Paschal lamb, if they had eaten the meal and just kept the blood in a jar in the house, they weren't going to get passed over. I mean, they, yeah, they were, they, because it wasn't on the littles and the doorposts. You see, it's got to be visible, people. There's no such thing as, what, a long time ago, you remember Lady Clairol commercials? Only her hairdresser knows for sure. Well, Lady Clara Christians, if nobody knows you're the Lord's, then you're not a real Christian yet. Do you see that? It's got to be on the doorpost and lintels of our lives. People are going to have to see it. So, uh, having the blood inside was not enough. So, I've shown you the picture of Jesus that hangs on. Uh, my uh uh, in my my study before and uh in that picture my my brother-in-law gave me this picture it's a picture of Jesus as the great shepherd and he's in the middle of his flock and one sheep nearby just looks up adoringly at its master and that may be you that may be right where you are, just right there by Jesus, just looking up, loving him. Others in the flock are looking at each other. And uh, then there are others that are looking out and away from the flock at the world around. And some are lagging behind. And one little group has lagged behind at is in a little smaller group all by itself. Isn't this sounding like the church? And then there's one little black sheep that's very close to one side. And that's me. I made it. I may not be like all the rest of them, but I made it. And I'm so glad he took me into the flock, even though I was such a black sheep. I'm his now, and I'm grateful. And maybe that's the way you feel. Maybe you feel like that black sheep. But this picture is taken from the illustration which the Lord himself gives when he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And then he goes on to talk about his sheep. My sheep hear his voice, hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me, and I give uh, unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. See, there's the kept part. If you're in the flock, you're kept, and is able to pluck them out of the Father, out of the Father's hand, even. Now hope you see this. if a sheep is kept in safety, it's no credit to the sheep. All the sheep can do is stay close to the shepherd. They're safe as long as they hang with the shepherd. But uh, a sheep cannot defend itself, and it doesn't have sharp fangs and claws to fight its enemy with. It can't even run very well. The jackrabbit can't defend itself either, but at least it can get away by running. Well, sheep can't even do that. Sheep are pretty helpless. One thing the sheep can do, though, as I've said, is stay close to the shepherd. As I was thinking about this yesterday, I remember the time when I got to feel the danger we put ourselves in when we start to move away from our our shepherd. We were uh, in the Caribbean on a cruise and we were taken out and we went snorkeling and uh, it was a wreck on the bottom of the, on the, on the, on the edge of the, there's a great drop-off, and this boat was sunk there, and so there are like 40 of us out there snorkeling, you know, we had our little things up in the air, and we were all looking at all these beautiful fish, and we were just looking at all this stuff, and I just kept paddling and looking, and paddling and looking, and then I got to the very edge of the where the island just dropped off into nothingness. And all you could see was white murk. And all of a sudden, I realized two things at the same time. First of all, I wasn't hearing anybody else paddling or kicking around me. And I looked up and I was out there all by my lonesome. I had drifted away from everybody else. And then I looked back down into this murk and I could just see jaws coming right up out of there, you know. So I did the the wise thing. I just didn't make any big splashy moves, but I just very gently moved back over with the group. I was safer with the group because Josh might get somebody else, you know, but, but the, the problem, the thing is we are safer in a group and for Christians, you're safer when you stay close to the Lord and the way you do that more than anything else, be a part of a church, be a part of a church body because we wind up being like sandpaper to each other in church, don't we? We rub the rough edges off of each other and we need that. We need each other by ourselves. Trying to be a Lone Ranger Christian just doesn't really work all that well because you're prone to drift away. When you drift away, you find yourself in danger of being attacked by the enemy. And whenever that happens, You want your brothers and sisters around you. So, if you have been out from the church, and a lot of people are going to be listening to this on the podcast this evening, if you haven't been involved in a church, you need to get involved in one. You need a church family. Friends, you see, when one of God's sheep says he knows he's saved, he's not boasting of his own merit, he's boasting about his shepherd and we do have a wonderful shepherd who's able to keep us and if you're saying that uh, you're not sure of your salvation and what you're saying is that uh, you don't have very much faith in your shepherd and he says that he can keep you and god can do that he can keep you If you have loved ones who are afraid of living in these last days, make sure they know this. He says that no created thing is able to take you out of his hand. It's not a question of whether you can hold on to him. It's a question of whether he's holding on to you. He says that he can And it's a matter of your trusting him and staying close. You see, salvation rests on Jesus, the son of God, the word of God. And it's up to you whether you're going to believe him or not. Your assurance of salvation rests upon that because he has made it very clear that you have a sure salvation even if you haven't claimed it, you could do that this morning. Here in Jude, we're presented with the dark days of apostasy, and God still says he's able to keep his own. Isn't it great to know that when everything points to the soon return of the Lord, that he's going to keep us. And that's why he tells us whenever you hear of wars and rumors of wars and pestilences and earthquakes and uh, and all these different things that are coming clearer and clearer every day he says look up for your redemption draws nigh sometime when you're in an airport I encourage you to uh, notice the difference between passengers who have confirmed tickets and those who are on standby have you ever just watched that It's fun. I like to watch people. Uh, The ones that have confirmed tickets, they read newspapers, they look, piddle with their phone, they uh, do all sorts of things, visit with friends, or they sleep. The ones on standby hang nervously around the ticket counter. They pace, and they fidget, and they fret. The difference is, is caused by the confidence factor. There are no standby tickets when it comes to our salvation. Again, you're either a saint or an ain't. We've all been called. Your ticket has already been purchased by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all that is left for you is to step up and receive it. And once you believe and receive, you are sanctified and will be kept. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.